You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I want to tell you about a new sponsor here on the program. It's our first sponsor in a while, but in this time of economic uncertainty, this is a great, great business for all of you to partner with. It's Dashing Media Management. New ways of talking to customers are being created left and right, and you need an expert to help guide you through that process. That's where my friend Lex Kramer and Dashing Media Management come in. They're able to help you with social media, blog management, content marketing, graphics, and pretty much all of your marketing needs. They're a one-stop shop. They feature flat rate pricing, transparent reporting, and Lex is just a great person to work with, a good friend of mine, and I hope that you'll support her. So I hope you'll reach out to Lex today at their website, dashingmediamanagement.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It's so nice to be here with you. We've got quite the show ready to go. Uh, we've got several gingers on the show tonight, and Reinhold and Harry. Uh, so, talking about what else? COVID-19. So, stay tuned. We'll get into it just after this. Warning. This show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome to the program. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. It's so nice to be with you tonight. We're going to have a fun conversation once we say hello to everybody. Oh, there seems to be something wrong with Twitch, Harry. Hmm. Harry Price, how are you? Going good, going good. Uh, I don't think it's Twitch. It's probably you. Okay. Mm, I don't know. Maybe right. it's Restream.io, which you recommended. Maybe you're bad at recommending things. I think I'm great at recommending things. I think it's um, uh, most of the time just you and your little um, uh, Apple thing. Okay? <laughs> it has thing. nothing to do with my little Apple thing, okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you just doesn't want to perform, but it's okay. <laughs> Shut up. hate you. <laughs> also, here is Reinhold. Reinhold, how are you? I am doing well, having a nice day, uh, stuck inside while it's 75 degrees outside. Why nice are you not sunny. outside? Because I'm here doing a podcast. Oh, sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, did you get outside at all? Like, do you, do you have I did, to actually I did. work? It's been a nice day outside. It's, uh, uh, didn't do anything like, you know, fun. It was mostly work, but still try to take care of the lawn, try to take care of the bushes and the trees and the, everything else. So. Uh, well, also here is the lovely Levy Rainey. Rainey, how are you? Hi, I'm really good. Excellent. It's nice to have you here. You are coming to us live from a hot spot from mm -hmm. like a FEMA camp basically down there in southern Georgia, aren't you? Yeah, it's terrible. It's really scary. I'm having stress breakouts because of the anxiety. <laughs> really? Are you really? I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm really stressed out. I thought I was. Um, I 
convinced myself that I had coronavirus and then I realized I was only having the symptoms of anxiety. So <laughs> don't be fooled. <laughs> what, what what were the symptoms you were having? Oh, I was having like a hard time breathing. Um, I was having hot flashes and I realized those were just precursors to having panic attacks. So I needed to like stop reading. And uh, yeah. I talked to a friend I hadn't heard from her in days. And the last time I talked to her, she was spiraling and drunk. So I was like, you know, I should probably check in. And uh, she's like, no, I'm great. I just stopped reading the news. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've had to do. Yeah. So how how are how is everyone else doing? So Levy's not doing well. Uh, have you <laughs> now that you've calmed down? Are you doing, are you feeling a little better? Uh, I'm feeling a lot better. I spent the day digging clay out of the creek behind my parents' house. So I had a wholesome day connected to the earth, and uh, I'm done spiraling. I'm good. I'm settling into a new normal. It's good. Uh, this new normal. We'll talk about the new normal. Reinhold, how are you handling things? How are you feeling? To me, it just doesn't feel like anything's changed in my life. So for the most part. I rarely ever went out and saw anybody, so I'm just staying at home and doing what I need to do. Yeah. Harry. Um it's just, it's killing me. Um <laughs> slowly uh, leaking I, your I, will to live. Yeah, yeah. I wanna see people, I wanna talk to people, I wanna go to people's desk and talk about their day. I really <laughs> I honestly think talking to people gives me more energy than coffee has ever ha- has given me. Uh, let's see on Sunday, I found out that, uh, my wife's general manager at her job got tested positive for COVID-19. Oh no. They spent all time in a small office. So that was fun. So I told my boss and told him that I probably won't be in for the next two weeks. And, um, then she called me back four hours later and said someone tested positive second shift weekender tested positive too. So they shut the facility down. So your whole workplace is shut down then, huh? Yeah, for the next few days, it's going to be, yeah, um, they may open tomorrow, maybe Thursday after cleaning, um, so. Man. Yeah. Do you think that you gave it to them? Um, it's a weekend second shifter, so I really have barely any interaction with weekend second shifters. <clears throat> so what I'm, <clears throat> you guys feeling okay? <clears throat> My cough, yeah. Harry, <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> but, um, I have been uh, drinking the, um whiskey uh and um feel okay feel okay so da- far um, dale is asks where are our masks and let me just say this dale uh we don't play around here i was given by tad western a tyvek suit and a couple weeks ago i was going to do the show in the tyvek suit as a joke mm-hmm. and then i realized if you taunt the virus the virus comes for you and so all those 28 kids that are you know We'll let Levy defend her generation in a moment that are hanging out on the beach. Uh, they all took coronavirus back to their families. All 28 tested positive. The girl who was licking the airplane toilet seat going, haha, get me coronavirus. She got it. And so I was like, I'm not putting on a mask as a joke. I'm not putting on a Tyvek suit. I will not tempt the virus at all. So no jokes, no jokes about any of this except the government that's all we do here we don't make fun of the virus we respect biology on this program um i i have my mask at the full face prepper mask um okay and i and since i've been stocking for months i have got also replacement filters so but i only have a good three weeks or pep, uh, supply so <laughs> i'm only gonna open it up and start using it if i if i know i need it so 
Harry, how, how many 9-11 preppers who, you know, who, were, who were convinced that we were getting attacked and started redoing the bomb shelters and getting all their their masks and everything they feel vindicated right now don't they yeah those all and right, those are the off, same people who were all on facebook going this isn't real you're all overreacting <laughs> meanwhile they're they're you, restocking did you hear about the woman who on the 15th of march had posted something on facebook about how this was a big hoax and everybody's just trying to take out trump and it was like a real long screed mm. and everybody should just ignore this and go about their day and, and everything else and then apparently last week she passed away from COVID. <sighs> damn yeah, like, oh wow, it's just Damn. sad. Like, there, I think my mood has kind of alternated between grim and doom and the <laughs> Great Depression impending. Uh, you know, a couple nights ago, my mom told me that she's a nurse. She's sixty. She works at an ICU. She's been called up to an ICU. She normally works at a cushy outpatient facility, but now she's checking in people at a front desk and. Her masks are running low. I want to thank some of the people in the audience. Jason Doolittle, Todd Singer, Christy Avery, who helped contribute to help me purchase more PPE for my mom and her shift. But, you know, and that that was a very tough thing to talk to your mom and, like, realize she's in a high-risk category and she's, you know, the, the, the odds are not good there. And then, so that was tough. So it hits me personally in that way. It hits me in that, you know, I know... I know so many people who are so worried about their business or have lost their job or who are worried about their job. And the longer this goes, the more of us that will be in that situation. You know, so I go from that to reading about how the models are getting better and, you know, we, we need 58% less beds than we thought we did a week ago and things are looking up and New York City is hitting its apex. So... I don't know. I think it it, it, it alternates between feelings of uh, th- there's just a lot of emotions. I'm sure that everybody feels that way. I'm sure there are a lot of people like our our friend Dale here who just has, you know, courage and that's it. But I think most people just have, have a lot of emotions around this. It just sucks. Like there's nothing about it that's good. There's nothing about it that I wouldn't say there's nothing about it that's good. I, I don't know about you guys, but maybe we'll start with the little signs of little cute things that you've seen, you know, like Creighton who, uh, he sent us a video, he sent us a video in the chat the other night and let me see if I can pull this up and play it. Cause it was really sweet. Our, our group of dirt bags immediately started making fun of it as if it was somehow a bad thing. But, um, he's in New York city. He's in downtown New York city. And he said that every day at 7, this is what the entire city does for the shift change at the hospital in Manhattan. So I just think that's, you know, that's a beautiful uh, show of support for the people who are the first responders to this. You know, every siren, every window open, clanging. You know, I walk in the neighborhood across the street. I, I This is a just a very standard issue neighborhood in the suburbs. It's, it's usually got nobody out. It's just kind of a dead neighborhood totally. And, 
you know, when I wa- went for a walk the other day, I, you know, I heard inter- neighbors introducing themselves to each other. Like somebody who written a joke of the day on a sandwich board, like it, neighbors talking to each other across the fence. So there's just all these little signs of community that I see. You know, you hear stories of people working at local shelters. So I, I wonder if you guys have heard like little signs like that where you just go those type. Uh, I saw a friend. She's a listener. Um a friend, uh, it was a nephew's birthday party, and they had a parade where they all drove by and honked and waved, and the little kid was just beaming with joy. Uh, driving back on Sunday, I saw uh, this, like, middle-aged woman with this sign, and it was so cute. She was just, like, she had had, like, 18 cups of coffee, and she was, like, honk for Harold or something, you know, like, some old-timer name, and, you know, there's just some guy in there, and he's probably, like, he can't get out of his house, and probably his birthday or he's feeling down and you know there was this his daughter and then her preteen super embarrassed daughter <laughs> standing outside waving signs so it's just those little moments that kind of make all this um a little bit easier for people and I, that's that's the kind of stuff that i love uh, hearing about and seeing and there's so much of it it's like what have you guys seen that have kind of touched your soul in a positive way one thing I've seen is some of the smaller Facebook groups that are that sprung up, like especially the one in Irvington, the Irvington area here in Indianapolis, uh, helping people out doing like door drop offs for people who can't do or um, people like from the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. Uh, a lot of the kids who went through uh, there, just like Gunther did, uh, came out immunocompromised. So they a lot of the families can't leave their houses. So like a lot of them are like peaching together to go like, hey, I can't leave my house. Can you go get me food and drop it off on my porch? You know, and right. you know, paying people through Venmo. That community of people from the NICU are, you know, they're still strong, still pulling together. Right. I've seen that stuff. That's what I've seen. But like I said, I've been stuck um, in that bubble. I live like in a very, you know, um, rural area in the country so it's you know we don't we already don't have a lot of traffic coming through but i would just say people coming together just in small ways um in the community just like you said whether it's dropping food off or um people hosting like worship nights on their front porch you know and people social distancing but coming out and like singing together i just think that's uh really forgotten about and the fact that we're embracing that is kind of a beautiful thing to me and that's what I'm seeing out of this is that I, I think that people are starting to re-remember community um, and and a little bit of uh, no, not as much indulgence as before. So they're starting to say, we don't need to go out and go to the movie theater every week and go to dinner five times a week and, you know, have all these parties. We can still, you know, have our community and still have our um, time with our neighbors and things like that and appreciate it more. Uh, than I think they did before all this started. Yeah, I've never felt more connected with my family. Um, definitely having great family time, great time with, uh, you know, I don't I don't go out and hang out with friends, but I feel more connected with a lot of friends. I'm, I, I, was, I was moving at a pace that was very quick, and this has forced me to stop and relax and, you know, just sit out in the sun and read in the late afternoon, and, you know, it's, it, it, it has its complications, but there are several aspects to being quarantined that I certainly don't mind, like that slower pace, like the just the increased feeling of connection to the people that I love. And I would just encourage people, um, 
I know, especially in the libertarian space, especially the way that this kind of began and the way that it's being carried out and the way that just the echo chamber that we all exist in, it can make a person who might listen to this show or might listen to a lot of libertarian media or watch a lot of libertarian social media, it might make you feel like you're in prison and you have been locked up in a cage and this is the worst thing ever. And I would just say that uh, it, it, your mentality is what you choose it to be. And yes, there we'll talk a lot about the the dangers to liberty, but I just want to say the danger to your health of constantly living in fear and thinking that you are being imprisoned and, and making yourself angry over it instead of trying to find the little positive things and find those little moments that really help you kind of... It, it just your attitude is what you choose it to be. And I think that that is going to make this a lot easier because the reality is, regardless of government action, this is real. It's very real. There's 81,000 deaths worldwide as we record this. Uh, you know, if we look back, uh, just when did we record the last episode? So April 1st, 31st, um, there were 932,000 on the 31st, there are now 1.3 million cases. Uh, that's a seven-day increase. You look at the chart across the world, it's absolutely astronomical. Um, there's 4,000 deaths in New York City alone. Uh, the United States has 387,000 cases. So we are we're in the middle of a pandemic, and the reality is that regardless of government action, people would be terrified. I've, I've been working on a show about the 1918 Spanish flu and society stopped for six to seven months and half the deaths occurred in the first six months out of 50 million to a hundred million, half around the world occurred in six months. Um, there are more people that died in the Spanish flu in the first 24 weeks than died in 24 years of AIDS. So, Society just kind of shut down in that pandemic, uh, and they had no toilets, no toilet paper, no electricity. Electricity was very sparse. No radio. Uh, the tele, you know, the, there was no television. There was no news. There was no internet, social media, nothing like this. Uh, in, in fact, you had um, a postmaster general that under Woodrow Wilson that was um, stopping the shipping of periodicals because it might be seen as uh, if you weren't pro-war and pro-Wilson, they censored all of your material. Uh, you had an attorney general, I have to look up the quote that, that he said, it's absolutely stunning. You know, just the daily existence of people who lived during the 1918 flu, they had an, an incredibly difficult time. You know, they, they had to grow their own food. If you were sick, you had to you had to grow your own food and, and farm that particular day just to eat. I mean, there, there was no air conditioning. There was one room with the entire family just sick all around you. Um, so we, we have a difficult road ahead of us. It's a difficult time, but there is, I think, one thing that we need to... And looking back, you know, that generation, if you look at World War I, for instance... 20 million people died in four years during World War One, and then they lost another 50 to 100 million people in that pandemic. And within two years, the entire world may have lost 5% of its population. You know, they had no ventilators. They had no hospitals. The germ 
the germ theory was fairly new. Uh, sanitation was a new idea. There, there was absolutely no ICU beds or hospitals. In the pandemic, Johns Hopkins had to shut down because they had to take care of everybody within that, that period. So, you know, the Attorney General Thomas Gregory, he had directed the Library of Congress to report the names of patrons that checked out certain books and said the government needed to monitor, quote, the individual causal or impulsive disloyal utterances of Americans. Uh, He revised the Alien and Sedition Acts, or the Sedition Acts. It became punishable by by 20 years in jail to, quote, utter, print, write, or publish any disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language about the government of the United States. Even if it was was factually accurate, you could go to prison. Um, Now, to enforce this, the FBI and the Attorney General created something called the American Protective League, and in about two, two, in about one year, 200,000 Americans became confidential informants on their fellow citizens. They used violence to silence dissent. They punished, quote-unquote, food hoarders and slackers. They investigated neighbors why they didn't buy enough liberty bonds to help fund the war. Uh, we're seeing little signs of that with people, you know, turning in their neighbors for going on walks. But that's sort of like a, a random thing. This was an organized spy ring like you would see in North Korea today. Um, John Barry, a lot of the, I've been reading this book called the great influence. It's really good. And he, he writes the war industry's board allocated raw materials to factories, guaranteed profit and controlled production and prices of war materials. And with the national war labor board, it's at wages as well. The railroad administration virtually nationalized the American railroad industry. The fuel administration controlled fuel distribution and to save fuel. It also instituted daylight savings time. The Food Administration, under under Herbert Hoover, oversaw agricultural production, pricing, and distribution. And the government inserted itself into the psyche of America by allowing only its voice to be heard by both threatening and by threatening dissenters with prison and shouting down everyone else. And those same people went on to fight the Great Depression. They went on to fight World War II, which killed 75 million people. And that was the first half of the 20th century. Think of the second half of the 20th century and the prosperity that came about on the other side of it. If those people can get through that, we can get through this. And I have no doubt that if they could, if they could come through and they could create the most prosperous society that would lift the entire world, half the world's poverty was slashed from just 1990 to today. So there's no doubt in my mind that while we have tough times ahead, there is... You, you can't be defeatist in your attitude, in your personal attitude about your personal situation. Your job will come back. You will see your friends again. You will hug your family again. It, it, it is a scary time, but there is a, a new day on the other side of this. There was for those people, and they had it much in a much more difficult situation than we have it. And so I, I know that a lot of times if you're listening to libertarian media, it can be very doom and gloom. There's a great depression. And, you know, Ger- if you listen to Gerald Salente, you're on life support right now with you just can't take it. I mean, he just he's it's all over if you're listening to Peter Schiff. And there, I have no idea what's going to happen. And I don't think very many other people do. And so you have to be careful listening to voices who are telling you that it's all hopeless. It's all over because history doesn't bear that out. 
And we have the ability to create the future that we want. And so there's a lot of people complaining about the liberty that they're losing, but they're not talking about how they're going to preserve the liberty that they have and increase liberty. There's a lot of regulations right now that are being killed left and right because they're useless. There are little signs of liberty coming back, despite what you may see in your Twitter feed. So, you know, Harry, I think it's important. I don't know why I'm throwing it to you because you're the darkest person I know in terms of attitude. But I think people need to realize that there is a future, there is going to be a tomorrow, Not there's not going to be bodies in the streets, that they're, the models are starting to trend downward, and there's going to be an economy on the other side of it. All right. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, uh -oh. A lot of the preparedness tools that I actually do have in the basement is because of like, the, thought the end was nigh. Like a lot of the, lot of the stuff I have is the, the food reserves I had back when, you know, I used to listen to Glenn Beck and um, Alex Jones <laughs> all the time, you know, and think of the world was going to end, you know, but the world never ended and the food's good for 25 years. And it's so, it's always just been here in the basement, ready to go at a, at a moment's notice. And never touched it. Still haven't touched it yet. Um, my wife hasn't wanted to touch it. So that just gives you, you know, like, look, people have been prepping for doom and gloom and all this bad stuff. This is going to happen. The thing is, is it going to be bad? Yeah, it's not going to be the same world that we left. It's not going to be an on and off button. Uh, trade is going to get hurt uh, because a lot of countries have hurt other countries during all this. But the whole, uh, you know, plague, uh, people are going to, you know, we're going to be burning bodies just to get rid of them in massive bonfires, and that's what we're going to do at the fair for the fair this year. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> You're right. The curve is getting better because people are, and because a lot of it is the, the uh, private industry decided to take the step before government did. So we got a huge jump on, jump on it, and people started to stay at home early. You know, a lot of people took it upon themselves to, you know, see what was going on and act first. And that started changing changing the models immediately if you don't think that your efforts are making a difference look at san francisco there was a great clip ben shapiro it's on youtube ben shapiro i'll put it in the show notes he interviewed this doctor from san francisco and san francisco's had eight deaths versus new york city which has had what four thousand up uh, up to now uh and they asked why and he said because the tech sector in san francisco voluntarily decided to keep their workforce home and that led everybody else to do the same and we took it seriously in san francisco whereas the mayor of new york city in early march and in late february they were encouraging people to get out to the streets don't be racist go to the chinese uh new year parades you know so the if you look at New York City, that's a that's uh that's some exponential spread. That is exponential growth. It may not be unchecked, but it's certainly much higher than most other places. And so because we took these mitigating circumstances, we now have the ability to fight it. What we're doing is building capacity so that when we reopen, which we'll talk about when that's going to happen in a moment, uh, because I think this is when uh, we flip over to the other side where we go, all right, these people have the better argument. Um you see in San Francisco, what we're doing is working. You see the models start to trend downward and, and start to work. Um, I mean, but Reinhold, you're one of the more optimistic people within We Are Libertarians about all this. Aren't you? I feel like you are. Um, so, I mean, I guess I, I, I don't know if I'm optimistic or pessimistic or I'm just trying to be a realist about everything where I'm trying to see the good and the bad and all of it. Um, I get the feeling that we'll probably, you know, I, we'll probably be back trying to go back to work in about three or four weeks, I would imagine. 
but it's going to be a little different. So a lot of places I know of that are still working, um, they have, you know, people like working in warehouses and things like that for distribution centers. Um, if somebody show, you know, gets tested po positive for it, they take, they shut the place down for a day. They clean the place up, uh, disinfect, and then they come back in. And I know one distribution center where they, um, you know, you have to get tested for your temperature before you go in. Right. That's not a big deal. You walk by, you do the forehead thing, you get temperature and you walk in. Right. So, those types of precautions are going to be in place for a while, but the sheltering in home thing, I think is going to finally go by the wayside when we start seeing the numbers flatten and go down a little bit. Um, so I, I think businesses are still going to function. They're going to change how they're working. Businesses are smart in the fact that they will try to find a way to make money in any situation. Yeah. Um, so, they're not going to let this keep them from trying to, you know, do what they need to do. So that's, that's going to happen. That's, that sort of stuff still good to be uh, pushing our economy forward. So I, I think a lot of people are just thinking this is then times. And I, I think a lot of people who have been through a few of these types of things are kind of, kind of finding it a little bit funny, but a lot of people, um, but also just making sure that, um, that people understand that all the things we've been saying for years about people should take more time with their family and people should stay, you know, not spend so much, save, save your money for things like this to happen are now being kind of proven right. And people may state actually start listening to that. Yeah. What are you thinking Levy? Um, I don't know. I'm overwhelmed with information and I don't know what to believe because I read one article that says, you know, prepare for I'm this. Just making sure that, um, and then, um, Sorry, that's so I not just don't fault. know. Yeah, it is overwhelming. It's hard to understand what. It's hard to know what you should think, isn't it, Levy? Yeah, because like I get on Twitter or something where a lot of my peers are, and everyone believes something different, and everyone always thinks um, people are thinking different times when people are going to go back to work, or uh, some people are planning vacations, and other people are saying you know getting their refunds, and so it's just so confusing, and I don't know what's more accurate. Reinhold, what would you say to somebody like Levy who's in her early 20s who, you know, everything that's happened to Levy up until now has happened to her for the first time? You know, us older people uh, who smell different because we're rotting away, uh, <laughs> trying to stay optimistic, but sometimes it just leaks out. Uh, you know, this is this is the third financial crisis I've been to been through. You know, I graduated at eighteen in two thousand and one, and went through nine eleven as I turned eighteen. I went through the two thousand eight financial crisis. You know, this is the third one. Just right as I'm entering my uh, best earning years, we're going to have a financial uh, re recession or depression. I mean, how how when you're in the middle of a crisis. How would you recommend kind of parsing information? I was hoping Reinhold was there, but uh, I think he just blocked himself out to, to go to the bathroom. Good. Harry, good. what do you think? <laughs> um, I think the old adage of um, you, you do have to be careful and mindful of your money. Um, I think this is also going to help start a conversation about the taxes and other things that people are paid or stolen from you that are supposed to protect you from these times aren't really there to protect you. You know, I'm having conversations with people with, you know, if I paid all this money into uh, my social security and, and my, uh, um, 
unemployment, you know, these taxes that are paid for me, why can't I just short that real quick? Why can't I just take a loan against that and pull that money real quick? Well, you can't, you can't, can't do that. You know, you can pull out your unemployment, but you're going to get like a little bit of the taxes that you paid for. Like this could be the first time you've ever pulled out of your entire career. You've been working for 15 years. You'll still just get the little bit at $300 a week and good luck. You know, you don't, you know, and it's, and I think those conversations are going to be interesting to have. And I think that younger generation is like, wow, this is how the, everyone else has gotten screwed over. Let's get rid of some of this. Let's have that. I'd rather have that cash in my own pocket. The other thing with it is um, listening to like a, like the Dave, uh, like the Dave Ramsey of the world. They talk about having these money supplies. If you have that and you have those reserve, you know, the three to six months, Unemployment, you know, is there to subsidize that, and you feel comfortable, and you understand how it is, and what you're supposed to do. How and everyone else up. has gotten. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's how you're supposed to set yourself up for, like, especially for retirement. You know, uh, I always tell everyone that you know I, I make a make a different type of money, and I should live this type of lifestyle, but I don't. My cars are really in, in, inexpensive. I spend and hold them on them for one or two years, you know, because I like having cash, I like being liquid and having be able to send things in investments. Because when stuff like this happens, I just go like, wow, I'm just going to stop spending money. So, so our question that we're answering, Levy is in her early 20s and just trying to figure out how do I how do I keep my bearings in the middle of a crisis? How do I how do I know what information to listen to? Everything's moving so fast, like. You know, those of us who have been through this kind of go, it's going to be okay. But if you're in your early twenties and you you're about to graduate college, it's a scary time. How do you how do you parse this out, Reinhold? Um, well, the the main thing is to make sure you're finding re, um, sources of information that aren't trying to uh, scare you or aren't trying to make you not care about anything. Those two extremes are usually people who are not. Um, good faith actors right so look to the to the to the uh, scientists look to the the medical communities look to people who are trying to rationally talk about the situation and then you know take take as much of that information as you can and and start trying to parse it against your own understanding of how you you know how life works and your experience right so that's that's kind of how you take that sort of information and the news information in um but as far as how do you kind of get by on um, what? So the future is always going to be scary, you know, even if this isn't going on. So I remember when I was in my you know twenties, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I ended up going to college. I ended up losing my apartment, living in my car for a few weeks. You know, so you kind of do what you need to do. But a lot of people will fall back on family um, in those times and those scares. So go talk to people, go talk to your family, talk to people who have been through things like this before, who have gone, you know, past that point in their lives where they've seen a few things and can't just talk to them and find out, you know, what's, what they're seeing, what they're feeling. And I think those people will give a steady hand and should be able to, um, us, you know, tamp down on some of the fear that might be running through, uh, just the unknown, not knowing what's going on. Yeah, I think so. We're talking about you know if you're if you're this is your first economic crisis. How do you how do you work through it? I think for me, that's a that's a great point. Is talking to people, getting pushing yourself. Your your feelings are not new. Your feelings are not abnormal. A lot of people are feeling the way that you're feeling. Like if you've lost your job and you're struggling, you should reach out for help. If you if you need to go to a food bank, for instance, there's no shame in that. If you, even if you are a libertarian and Harry, back me up on this. 
if you are a libertarian and you've lost your job, file for unemployment. All right, because that is something that you have paid into, your employer has paid into. It's a form of insurance. And so, like, the system is set up in a certain way at this point, and it is not the way that we would like the system to be set up. And so if the government is going to mail me a $1,200 check of my own money, I'm sure as heck going to cash it, and I'm going to buy something that they'd hate with it. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah. There is nothing non-libertarian about taking unemployment. <clears throat> There's nothing unlibertarian. Why do you feel that way? One, it's stolen from you. It's cash that's already stolen from you and stolen from other people. Okay, and it's the only way you're going to get it back. And if you're like young, like myself, you know, not too much, not the youngest one in the room, at least, because, uh, uh, and uh, but people like Reinhold are, are going to be the last generation probably to get any of social security. Of course, depending on you know how many boomers is really cleaves out which is sad which is going to be awful easy you know but the thing there's some bad dark math with that too all right how that social security is probably going to balance out depending on how long the quarantine is going to be yeah because all right right now they have stopped doing surgical abortions in most states so a lot of people if they can't bend past the goalpost they can't really do anything about it we may actually end up having a nice little baby bump. You're you're, you're really we, taking us right into abortion. I'm trying to bring people together right, in this episode, sorry, sorry. and you're trying. To <laughs> I'm just saying right that toward... it could give us the baby bump, which pushes the money that pushes Social Security. But no, there's nothing non-libertarian about taking that freaking cash. It's stolen from you. Take I, it. I, I, it's I the think... only way you're going to get any of the thievery back. You know, just I'm not talking to, say, to depend on it, but it's no. There's no issue of taking it. You know, because if you were giving that force, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just taken by force. Now, granted, if you yes, if you would have had that cash, you would have built into the you know insurance agency, and they would have just gave you the cash. Now, granted, uh, which I also uh, there's a lot of it's scumbag insurance companies out there right now um, that are lobbying against and doing everything they can to not pay off in this time of crisis right now. But you know they're 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 trying to protect their assets because they're they're going to you know they watch and everyone take a hit, and they know if they. You know, if they start paying out, they're going to take a hit. So I would, uh, I would definitely say, reach out for help if you if you need it. That's certainly one thing. You know, reach out to friends, talk to friends, especially people who are more seasoned. Uh, I definitely agree with Reinhold that you should be very careful about who you listen to and what information you take in. I'm not the type of person that thinks that you should, ah, don't listen to CNN. That's just propaganda. I think you should listen to CNN. I think you should listen to Lions of Liberty. I think you should listen to Vox. I think you should listen to National Review. I think you should take in a lot of information. And then from there, parse, you'll start to see what is true and what kind of fits together, you know, or, and that's why we try to give a lot of our sources here. I think there's a lot of people who try to use these situations. They, they want to push you into a camp not literally, but like push you into a political camp and get you emotional and mad at one particular group. And it makes you easier to, it makes you more malleable. It makes you more likely to click on an email list or to buy a book or to, to vote for their politician. I think that it just makes people a little bit more crazy. I think the thing that you will look back and go, I was living through it. It was super fast-paced, but super slow. My life didn't change all that much, but I had a lot of feelings around it. And I think especially if you're an emotional person like me, you're going to have a lot of feelings as things are a little crazy. 
And then you look back and go, things didn't change nearly as much as I thought they might change when that thing started happening. Now, there's always the opportunity that this could turn into a Great Depression and this could be, but think three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there's going to be a lot of people who, who are listening and who are posting online who have been keepers of the secret knowledge, who just like to stick up to the conventional wisdom of the day and tell everyone how they're wrong. And it's a positioning to make yourself look like you knew the truth all along. You didn't know shit. You didn't know anything three weeks ago. You don't know anything now. You're just like, if you position yourself as if you're skeptical of everything, then you can be right about something on the other end. I don't buy into that. I think you should, you, you should be careful of those people. But the reality is, if you think three weeks ago, we thought, man, two million people, 100,000 people may die. We're looking at it now. Maybe it's, maybe it's 20,000. Maybe it's 50,000. And we're three weeks away. I know it feels like the longest decade of in our lives, but it's not been that, that long. So in the moment when you're in the passion of what's happening, it, it feels much bigger than it ends up being on the back end. And then once you get to complacency, once you get to normalcy and you're able to go out again and you're able to breathe, you're able to feel like you're normal, you can do all this stuff. Then that's sort of when the, that's when rights are really lost. Like I know that I, I have serious concerns about government crackdowns and the way that that's being happen, happening now. But the real danger is when everything's normal and people stop paying attention to this because they're tired of it. That's when liberty is really lost. It's the calcification on the other end because we've stopped paying attention and moved on. Yep. So that's when you really have to pay attention to really kind of have to think critically and do a lot of information. So does any of that help, Levy? Um, yes, it's just overwhelming because it's, um, I don't know, just, it feels like a, this is going to sound dramatic, but it feels like a burden to have to go through all of this information and think, what are their motivations? What are the resources? I have to read this side and this side. And I feel like that's, um, a lot of people are just not willing to do that. And it's probably why a lot of people my age are really misinformed because it takes a lot of time and effort and you have to care, you know, and it's much easier just to click the most popular article on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think all of us fall into that too. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to tell people. I don't know what to say to that other than you just have to do it. There's part of being an adult that if you're going to live in a free society, you have to be well informed. <laughs> you have to save your money. If we get into a situation where there's a, a financial collapse, like there certainly will be, apparently every ten years now, you're the best you're ever going to get from the government apparently is $1,200 for a couple months. And it may be four weeks, four months late. Like if, if there is a, a crisis, a pandemic, the best the government may do is get some tests to you in four to nine months. Like there, the reality is I don't believe in self-reliance because I've discovered some secret knowledge. I've just paid attention long enough to know that the government can't effectively do anything for me and I'm going to have to take care of myself. And that means being informed. That means doing the work. Like they're part of being an adult. I'm not, not lecturing you. I'm just saying this in general. Cause I, I, I see the woeful. We have two pandemics in this country. <clears throat> we have coronavirus and we have stupidity and stupidity <laughs> is far more dangerous right now and much more virulent because there are a lot like the reason COVID-19 deaths are being coded as COVID-19 deaths, even if they had a heart attack, is that 
the coronavirus attacks your oxygen supply and depletes your other organs, all your blood and oxygen runs to your organ, your lungs to fix it. And then if you have a kidney problem, it starts just depleting that kidney. And so all that does is exacerbate. It's called a comorbidity, comorbidity. And so it's not a conspiracy that the government is perpetrating to inflate numbers. It's that there's a biological function. It took me five minutes to look up that information. It's out there. You don't have to be a conspiratorial idiot, a COVID idiot, if you will. Um, you know, so you just, I just think it's part of being an, an adult. Like somebody once said to me, it's like working out. This is when I was much fatter. Working out is part of like being an adult, like paying your bills and brushing your teeth. And I think part of being an adult in a free society is making sure that you are well-informed and that you are questioning even the people that you agree with the most. I just think it's really, it's just a key part of making sure that we do this right. And like, there's a lot that, that we were told three weeks ago that was wrong, but it was based on data from China that, I mean, holy cow, has China's stock fallen fast in three months, you know? And so those imperial college models that were built on the backs of Chinese data and the one ship and some Italian data, yeah, those looked really bad. Um, and now we're at a point where we have American data and testing and we have better data now. And that's why the models are starting to trend downward. It isn't some sort of conspiracy that uh, th they're lying to you with these models. It's that data changed, facts changed, information changed. And you've got to be flexible and fluid with it and try and keep up with it somewhat. Like, But Levy, I will say this, like... Read, read the New York Times, read Reason Magazine, read National Review, and read Vox. Read four websites a day. That's all you've got to do. And maybe your local newspaper if you're getting, you know, really ambitious. <laughs> like, if you just read, like, from the, from the skeptical side of things to the, the libertarian reason to National Review on the right to Vox on the left to the Nat New York Times, you kind of just glance those websites, you're good. You kind of have a working theory of what's going on, and then maybe download one or two news podcasts that kind of fill in the gaps a little bit. So it, it, it's that's what I would say. Okay, I think we need to share this um, information with my governor as well. He oh. seems to be a little misinformed as well, so I'll tell him. I'll write him a letter. Let me see if well, I can Steve, find he, that. You didn't know that you could have COVID-19 and not show symptoms? Yes. He found yeah. that out last week. Levy. <laughs> he didn't know that you could pass it on. Levy, do you well, know, I don't know, know you where you're from? I'm just saying. <laughs> Somebody mm -hmm. can look that up. Levy is in Georgia. Levy, do you know where the yeah. CDC is headquartered? No. <laughs> do you know what the CDC is? Uh... I don't know what it actually stands for, I don't think. Okay, the CDC is the Center for Disease Control, and they are basically okay. in charge of infectious diseases. Uh, and so the CDC is headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> That's even worse. Yeah, it if makes you, it so much Walking worse. Dead, they make a big deal out of going to Atlanta to go to the CDC. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen Walking Dead. I need to be more informed in my pop culture you as well. Don't. It's really <laughs> brutally, and this is sad. Yeah, it's awful now. Your taxes pay for it. So um, I'm trying to find the video because people will accuse it of being fake news, but like this guy, you watch it, and like, because I'm always trying to, when I, you know, can't always get time. You, you, get, you get a quote from somebody, right? So somebody will put out a meme with a quote from somebody. And if you go look it up, 
or you listen to the beginning before that quote or after that quote, a lot of times it changes the whole context, right? So that's what he's exactly. saying is that a lot of times you have to go check that out because if you don't, you're getting manipulated. And yeah. that's I hate people trying to manipulate me. So I will try to fight that every time I can. Yeah. All right. Let's see if this is it. Producing live here on the fly. Um, you know, I think it's the reason I'm taking this action. It's like I've continued to tell people I'm following the data. I'm following the advice of Dr. Toomey. Uh, her and I both mentioned in our remarks, um, you know, finding out that this virus is now transmitting before people see signs. So the what we've been telling people from directives from the CDC for weeks now that if you start feeling bad, stay home. Uh, those individuals could have been infecting people before they ever felt bad. Well, we didn't know that until the last 24 hours. And as Dr. Toomey uh, told me, she goes, this is a game changer for us. <laughs> And uh, I've been listening to her advice. I uh, okay, so uh, this guy, who is the governor of the state where the CDC is headquartered, learned on April 1st that uh, it was the asymptomatic carriers. Now, there has been a, like more of a confirmation of that, so I will give him that. But the reality is that asym we've if you've followed this at all or read even a little bit, you've been able to to discern that maybe some asymptomatic carriers were running around and could infect people. Uh, so it's really strange that he didn't know that information when that, it, that's like when Donald Trump, I, I mean, I was dumbfounded. I don't, I think I talked about this on the last episode where he's like, apparently 2 million people could die and only a hundred thousand are going to die. I'm the best. I did a great job. And I was just like, you should have known this like February. In fact, remember Rand Paul, was asymptomatic. That was the big deal. He was right. infecting Congress. You know, even though he had taken a test but hadn't got the results back, he was still going out and infecting Congress. And so, now he's apparently free of the disease. Yeah. So he's going to go volunteer in hospitals, which is great. Yeah. Uh, since he, you know, theoretically can't get it again, but. So Peter Navarro is kind of the guy who's the mastermind of the tariffs, and he's a trade advisor to Donald Trump. He's somebody that Trump really trusts. And Reason put out this article, Trump was warned in January and February that COVID-19 could kill millions, cost trillions, in the Reason Roundup on, uh, Mar on April 7th. Uh, Peter Navarro wrote in uh, February 23rd, there is an increasing probability of a full-blown COVID-19 pandemic that could infect as many as 100 million Americans with a loss of life of as many as one to two million souls, Navarro wrote in a memo to Trump on February 23rd. The next morning, Trump told Americans... The coronavirus is very much under control in the USA. Navarro's February memo followed up on one from January 29th. In the earlier memo, uh, nearly a month before that other memo, he wrote that the economic cost of doing nothing could be as high as $5.7 trillion and suggested that more than half a million Americans could be killed by COVID-19. A little more than a week after this memo, the Trump administration gave eight nearly... Now, this is absolutely true. A week after this memo, the Trump administration gave nearly 18 tons of donated respirator masks, surgical masks, gowns, and other medical supplies to China. And throughout the next few weeks, Trump continued to downplay the seriousness of the COVID-19 threat. Navarro was persistent. In his February memo, he expressed an urgent need for at least $3 billion in appropriations to help prevent, contain, and treat the coronavirus. He said now was not the time to be worried about the costs, but to start stocking up on ventilators, personal protective equipment for healthcare providers, and other pandemic-related supplies. 
Quote, we can expect to need at least a billion face masks, 200,000 Tyvek suits, and 11,000 ventilator circuits, and 25,000 PAR, powered air purifying respirators, Navarro wrote. It would be another three weeks before federal agencies began stocking up. You can read the full memos on Axios. He clearly leaked these. He was on the Sunday shows and said that he knew data and he was smart, and uh, there was some spat with Fauci between Navarro and him and he defended himself and so everybody on CNN laughed at Peter Navarro so he's kind of got himself uh, he's, he's a little butt hurt so he released these memos but that is stunning information to know that like I you know Donald Trump doesn't read intelligence briefings he's made that very clear but this is his guy this is one of his closest advisors saying you need to pay attention to this and in such dramatic ways I mean, what are we to make of that Oh, really? What it, you learn is that uh, Trump doesn't like information that is negative to his uh, the way he's being seen or yeah. his reelection chances. That's that's his goal. So he would rather believe something that's not true than to accept the information that is true if that information would harm him politically. Yeah. And thank goodness that Mike Pence is in charge of all this. <laughs> his yeah. track record is so good. Levy, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, I just had a question. Yeah. Is, is this, what is the general consensus? It's like, is, does it, do most people think that he's handling this, the president, like handling it in a presidential way? Like, is this going to affect his ability to get reelected? Are people like rallying behind him? Man, I would I encourage everybody to go watch Eric Weinstein on Joe Rogan because he basically was pulling out pitchforks and torches uh not to go to Charleston uh, Charlottesville but to like he he basically makes the case very effectively that if we uh allow the government to exist after this in the way that it exists currently it will be an incredibly shameful event. Uh, the reality is the government has completely failed in its response from day one, as you just heard. And in the beginning, it failed tremendously. Now we're getting to a place where Donald Trump is, Donald Trump is not being effective. Mike Pence, Fauci, some of these other people are being effective. They're the ones that, if you listen to the governors of like even Michigan and New York, these Democrats, they're all saying that we got ventilators from the administration. We, they, they, we, they thank the president. They thank the White House. Um, so you've got that proof that there is some capable handling of this crisis. And I think that the reason his approval ratings have gone up and people are thinking that he's doing a good job is a lot of those statements. Like people trust Andrew Cuomo and their governor far more than they trust, you know, anybody in the media to say that he's doing a good job. But well, let's, let's but be then, clear though on, on those ahead. approval ratings. So, you know, there's a comment here that he's got a 60% approval rating. I know I would love to see that poll because every single poll I've seen shows his approval rating being around 46%, 45%, which is still the highest it's ever been, but the disapproval rating is still above 50. Now every, so he did get like a 3% bump, but uh, the, you know, Merkel, um, you know, Johnson, every, everybody else who's like a leader dealing with this right now has gotten double digit bumps. Look at Cuomo. Look at Cuomo's um, approval ratings are huge now. 
So everybody else is getting huge bumps. He got a three to four percent bump at best, and it's trending back down. Yeah, because people are aware that he came in late to this. He's bungled a lot of things while lying to people uh, on TV and is spending the time on those press briefings actually uh, trying to use them as campaign. He he's uh, picking a lot of fights, a lot of unnecessary fights too. Just go look at his Twitter. So the reviews are mixed. It's it's very tepid. He is getting a bump, but I think it's because we've not seen him be competent at anything. So to see him do anything sort of well, Levy, we're just kind of like in shock that he is not messing it up. So I have another question. Yes, ma'am. Um, I've heard several people, including my mother, talk about Mike Pence's. Um, I don't know. His he's looking presidential. I've heard that several times is this true and accurate he's looking pretty i mean i'll tell you as a hoosier the three of us are hoosiers like we lived under four years three and a half years of mike pence he was fairly incompetent and the knock on pence was that he he brought in people who looked like him thought like him the previous governor mitch daniels you know appointed a democrat as head of the commerce department uh, mickey mauer like he, he had a real knack for bringing in a lot of competing voices into government and trying to, to reform government in a big way. And he left government in very good shape for Mike Pence. And Pence was mostly focused on running for president until he had several huge missteps, one of which was mishandling a public health crisis in Scott County that spiked AIDS. Uh, it started an AIDS epidemic down there. So he... He has been competent in these in these. Pre- it, it depends on your definition of competent, right? So, I look at this, and maybe we expand this into the larger conversation of when we open up. Mike Pence has looked after he follows Donald Trump, who goes on there and goes, "I've done a great job, got great ratings, everything's great." Uh, screw Andrew Cuomo. I'm out. And then Mike Pence comes on and gives information and you learn stuff and you hear what they're doing. And there's, you know, so he does look presidential in that respect. And you, he does get good marks from governors. But then you start to kind of pick apart some of these other things like why, why are, why are tests not going here? Why are you, why is the federal government outbidding states for ventilators and then hoarding them? Like why? you start to see some of the the decisions that are being made by the white house. And you go, it doesn't make sense. Like we're already way behind on testing. If you are mad about being stuck in your house, if you're mad about the draconian shutdown that had to take place to stop the spread of COVID-19, you can thank the federal government because they monopolized testing at the CDC. It was a decision made by Donald Trump, his HHS secretary, his CDC appointed, he appointed the head of the CDC, he appointed the FD, head of the FDA. They centralized in the early days of this all of the testing, and they did a bad job with it, and they failed it. And so by the time that it was time to take this seriously, there wasn't testing anywhere. Indiana was testing 100 people. Uh, so it, it just got out of control, and it was running like wildfire, and the only way to tamp it down was to, to have a quarantine. Well, if you had let the free market work, if you had opened uh, up and allowed other uh, people to work on this problem like it has now been done, uh, you, you start to see Abbott Labs and Lilly and Roche start to produce a tremendous amount of tests in a short time because this big complex problem cannot be centralized. When you centralize control, you start to y- – y- if it, things are done in the marketplace – 
there's a bunch of little points of failure. So if one place fails, then you have other different places that can fail, and you lose that one, but you have other you have Abbott Labs producing even if Lilly fails, for instance. With the federal government, when the CDC failed, that meant that we were seven weeks behind and that the only way to open up, they're apparently saying, is that you've got to have testing. Okay, well, where are the tests? Because only people that are dying are getting tests, and the amount of tests being done here are going down. So whose fault is that? If you're in charge of distributing the tests, you're in charge of making the tests, Like, you cannot let the daily appearances on the press looking competent fool you into thinking that these people are actually competent because they're not the the reality is that they have continued to blow this at every single point uh if you'd like more information on this please look in our show notes i'll put several stories follow me on facebook and twitter and i'm documenting the ludicrousness of this government every single day um so yeah mike pence looks good on tv but is the, the federal response good enough? No. And let me say this. It doesn't matter if Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton were in that office. When you centralize something in the middle of a pandemic, they're going, there, there is no level of competency to handle the responsibility that we have given to the federal government. There isn't a group of people that you can elect that can actually test. That, again, that great book that I'm reading, The Great Influenza, there's one part where he's talking about there were like maybe three people in the entire world who had the competency at labs, the lab skills to find a way out for people on the on the H1N1 influenza. And, and that just made me think so much about what's going on today. Like there's just a very small amount of people who have the right, it's the right apex of knowledge and connections and money and that, that can actually make a difference on things. And so the, the chances of you electing somebody for the right position just doesn't exist, you know, because there's too many factors. Levy? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to tell a story, again, from that book that, that I loved before we go on, that I was driving home last night listening to the audiobook version of it, and I just started laughing because it, it illustrates kind of what's going on, and it illustrates the point that the government cannot the, – the government never can do things correctly. It's not that I'm a libertarian because uh, I'm greedy and I want to keep all my money. It's, it's not just that, but it's that – governments inherently don't do things the right way. Like there's a lot of great people who work in public health who are working in public health institutions. Uh, and the reality for them is that their purse strings are controlled by politicians and by political considerations. So in the it, right before, and this it, just think of the parallels as you listen to the story. So in the early days of New York City, there was the New York City Department of Health was like the shining city on a hill. And they had better labs than most pharmaceutical companies and uh, hospitals at the time. And it's because Herman Biggs, who had been the head of the health department, had personally treated and saved the life of one of the top Tammany Hall officials. Tammany Hall was the, the, the party, the Democratic Party machine that ran New York City for so many years, so many decades. And so that particular official protected the department from politics. 
So when Biggs left and he went to go on to uh, a different job it and it was time to appoint a successor, the new mayor that was coming in, a Tammany man, wanted to appoint a patronage job. And patronage is you support me. Well, you're one of our people. We put you in this place. We get you a phony baloney job and you get you get an income for not doing anything, really. But the problem was the Department of Health, there, there weren't many patronage positions. And so what Tammany Hall had to start doing was begin a smear campaign to drive out all the top scientists and doctors from this world-class public health institution. And so it worked. Uh, in one case, for instance, uh, they drove out a deputy commissioner of health who had 20 years experience and they replaced him with the mayor's personal doctor. Uh, so that was the kind of people that they started to replace people with. So the department was leaderless and they appoint this guy named Royal Copeland. And he was a dean of a homeopathic medical school and he was not a doctor. Uh, his qualification was basically that he was a loyalist to the Tammany Hall machine, and he had absolutely no belief in the modern medical system that was just starting to develop or germ theory. He thought all of it was hokum. So imagine like Bill de Blasio appointing Jenny McCarthy or, an, or Dr. Oz to be the head of the department because he supported him politically. So Copeland immediately begins cleaning house. And he gets called on it by the by the medical establishments and Johns Hopkins and others uh, around the country, the federal government. And to save the reputation of the department that he destroyed, he started uh, pushing um, that it was unpatriotic to criticize him or the department. So you were not a real American if you were criticizing Royal Copeland and his poor, uh, poor performance. So that's January of 1918. In September, on September 15th in 1918, they have their first case of H1N1, and it lights the city on fire because it's tenement houses, it's dirty, it's not, not going well at all. So instead of going into the world's biggest, deadliest, most lethal pandemic with your best people, you've basically done what Michael Lewis described as the fifth risk, which is hollow out everybody that was competent, and you're left with a bunch of patronage employees running the public health department and they've got all this power. And so, you know, in the past they would, they would close down, they would monitor and trace uh, diseases like polio outbreaks. Uh, in 1918, Tammany Hall's man did absolutely nothing. In fact, he denied that this was even a thing. And so after three days of rapid growth in cases, he finally added pneumonia and influenza to being a reportable disease. And he added the caveat quote, other bronchial diseases and not the so-called Spanish influenza is said to be responsible for the illness of the majority of persons who reported to be ill with influenza. So he basically said, it's fake news. It's not actually happening. Uh, John Barry then goes on to say, quote, a few more days and even Copeland could no longer deny reality. People said that they could see the disease all around them. He then imposed a quarantine on the city. And so the lesson here is that Nothing has changed. When you pair public health and politicians together, they will always put political concerns above the public health of the city, of the state, of the national apparatus. Uh, and maybe many of you are sitting there going, good, I want to go back to work. But the reality is that I would rather have a public health facility like Johns Hopkins giving me information and letting me make an informed decision than some political appointee who is head of public health 
And so I just thought that it was so illustrative of what we're seeing today. And it's not that it's Tammany Hall or Trump. It is the system that doesn't work. It is the system that is inherently broken because the incentive structure doesn't work. The incentive is to appoint people who will help you get reelected, not to help people stay alive. And so, I mean, it was when I heard that, I was just like, I've got to share this with the people. Levy, it was like finding a little gold nugget. It was like <laughs> Tiger King, the little gold nuggets to these boys. Well, thank you uh, for sharing that because um, I also got your Tiger King reference, which I am proud of. <laughs> uh, so that's one of the, one of the things that I did understand. But thank you. I did enjoy that. You're welcome. I mean, what 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 other political concerns are being put over public health here that you guys are seeing that don't necessarily match reality that like this person's just way out in space. All right. Let me, let me say this. Let me go here then. Uh, you had your chance. I'm moving on. So this is a radio show. We got to move quick. Got to move quick. Um, I don't feel that we are necessarily being told the truth. And I don't think that we're having the conversations that we need to have. And it started kind of with what we talked about last week, that everybody's kind of making false a false dichotomy of things, but the you, you start to see public health people saying the truth out loud. You see Michael Olsterholm on, uh, he was on a podcast called The Drive, which was really, really good and terrifying in and of itself. Uh, he's an epidemiologist that was on Rogan, so go look that up. You see Fauci saying, life isn't going back to normal. Things are going to be different. You're going to have to prepare uh, before I was reading uh, this uh, Santa Clara County's Dr. Cody, she is um, apparently the uh, Dr. Fauci of the San Francisco Bay, and uh, she said that, quote, we're going to be at this for a very, very long time. I just have to keep reminding myself that this is a marathon and we have to keep ourselves nourished somehow and we have to keep our energy good. Uh, taking action early gives us an advantage, gave us an advantage in slowing things down. It has, of course, caused enormous social and economic disruption. But had we taken action later, we would still be sheltering in place, which I totally agree with. The idea that you, you were never go, you were going to be running free, you 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 wouldn't be making that decision if you if there was no government, you would be sheltering in place because you'd be terrified. Uh, we would still be experiencing incredible economic and social disruption, and we'd be having an incredible strain on our healthcare system as well. All points I totally agree with that we covered in the last episode that you should go listen to about the false choice being prepared. Uh, she goes on, while we're not out of the woods, I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that we've put our hospitals and healthcare partners in a better position to manage the infections that we expect will be continuing to, to come. What I will say is taking action early gave us an advantage. All that's true. The models are slowing down. We have a surplus of beds in Indiana. Apparently, New York City has enough beds, and there is a, going to be enough resources. The goal with flattening the curve always was build capacity so we don't have overrun hospitals. The goal is now becoming in some of these conversations, let's suppress it to a point where there's no cases. 
And that is not the agreement that we all made when we went into quarantine three weeks ago. Uh, so you'll notice that subtle shift now in public discussion and in the media and from politicians. It's no longer flatten the curve. Let's build capacity. Let's make sure that we don't have an overrun. You know, there's still going to be cases. It's now we need to hunker down and stay here until until this is over. And that is not what we what we all agreed to. And there's going to be significant problems that we'll talk about in a second. So she she says uh, surge in cases is coming and that since a vaccine is still long way off at some point, everyone is likely to be infected with COVID. She said, yes, at some point uh, when she asked if everyone will be infected, what our shelter in place order does though is slow things down. So we spread the cases out over a long period of time so that the spread so we spread the number of people who are severely ill and require hospitalization over a long time of well as well. So she declined to give a timetable for when life will return to normal, saying that this is, quote, the new normal for the foreseeable future. She stopped short of saying school won't return in the fall, which means she doesn't want to say that she doesn't think school is going to return in the fall. Quote, mostly what I'm trying to do in my own home is try to get my kids used to online learning. They're not a big fan of it, but that's the reality at the moment. I just want to go back to our new normal, and that is, ev- and everything is uncertain. Um, so I think that that's just not going to work for people. I think that, uh, you know, Reinhold, you mentioned uh, a little bit ago, people going back to work in two to three weeks. I don't think that we have a choice. I think that we have to, uh, we, we have to economically. I just, I, I think that people will start forcing the choice. I think that there will be civil unrest if it goes beyond, uh, May, I think the reality is people are ready to get back to normal. And the other aspect of this is we have to be honest with the people who have underlying conditions. We have to be honest with the people who are vulnerable at this. Your life is probably going to significantly change. And we, we, we will do our best to help you. But the reality is that it can't be a, ty- a tyranny of the, the vulnerable, so to speak. And everybody can't stay in their houses until December to, to, wait for a vaccine because we're still waiting on the AIDS vaccine, by the way, which hasn't come. So I think the time has come for the conversation to take place. When do we start opening? And I think that that's going to be a really nasty conversation because when you have people who are economically uh, suffering right now and you have people who are suffering from underlying conditions and scared out of their mind and you have both sides thinking that they're going to kill each other, I think that that conversation based on the way that we have conversations about everything is going to be an absolutely brutal moment in the next two to three, four months. And the worst part about all that is that it's not as simple as uh, if you have an underlying condition or if you're older, then you're more likely to, to die from this. It's, it's individualized. So uh, I know the story of a, of a, a husband and wife in her thirties, she got it and then she was fine and her husband got it and it killed him two days later. So, I mean, and there was no underlying issue. It's just that it, it affects certain people differently than it affects others. Now, if you have underlying condition, it's a little bit worse. You have a higher chance, you know, it's going to be able to do a little more damage to you. But it's it's killing 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, too. It's killing children. Um, so nobody's safe from it, as it were. But what I think is going to happen is that we're going to see a flattening of the curve. People are going to finally get out some good testing. So once we get a test that give you an answer 
quickly, like in 15 minutes, right. 20, 30 minutes or something like that. And uh, I think that's going to help a lot. So I don't, when we say get back to normal, I don't think we're ever going to get back to the way it was before. There's always going to be people concerned. I mean, how long did it take Japan? They used to walk around with masks on all the time because of the bird flus and stuff like that, that they were having. Mm-hmm. People still do that there. So I think you're still going to see a prop part of the population that when they go out, they put a mask on. Fauci said, right? Fauci was very clear about that. He's like, we're never going back to a world where coronavirus doesn't exist. It's, it's out there. And, and so when we say mm-hmm. underlying illnesses, New York city is starting to report some of the, the, the death, uh, the deaths basically. Um, so underlying conditions include diabetes, lung disease, cancer, immunodeficiency, heart disease, hypertension, asthma, kidney disease, and liver disease. That's a lot of the population, let's be honest. Obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes. So there's a lot of vulnerable people. So when everybody's like, let's get back to work next week, it's sort of a false hope that I think a lot of people on the economy side are giving to people because not everybody can go back to work and their life has to change and people need to be told this information so they can start making the best decision for them and their family because it does affect them. It does affect you when you go out to, to, the, hosp- to uh, the grocery store. So when it comes to underlying conditions, in the deaths 18 to 44, 98 people had underlying conditions, 33 had uh, conditions pending, and only nine had no underlying conditions. And the 45 to 64, uh, 456 to 28 in terms of underlying conditions. 65 to 74, 421 to 5. 75 and over, 646 to 4. Obviously, as you get older in the age bracket, you start to see more. uh, And one of the underlying conditions is being a man. Uh, So men, 1,000 deaths to 608 deaths, male versus female. And... Female deaths, 608 had underlying conditions, 10 had no underlying conditions. 1,013 men versus 36. So the now that we have some data and we have an understanding, we have to start making rational decisions based on our own personal protection because if you live with somebody who has one of these conditions – you know, Reinhold, you're in a different place than myself or Harry or Levy. Like, you live with somebody who has been through cancer treatments. You know, the reality of how you are going to live your life for the next 12 to 18 months is probably going to look a lot different than the way that we live ours. And that is unfortunate, and that is a tragedy, and that sucks. And I, and I feel for that. Like, I feel horrible for my grandfather, who is 83, and he lives in the same building as my grandmother, who's 84. She's in memory care. I pray that they will get to see each other again. you know. But the reality is moving forward. Their life is going to be radically different. And, it, and it's very difficult to even say that without crying just because it's so sad for, for my grandparents that I love. But uh, it, it isn't fair. And sometimes, I mean, is it a fair statement, Reinhold, to say... I think sometimes if you're in that position, you want everybody else to go through it too, instead of everybody moving on kind of without you. Is that too harsh? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, so what I've been going through has been almost a decade long, right? So my life changed 10 years, almost 10 years ago, and it's never going back, right? It's never going to be the way it was. Um, but I wouldn't wish that on anybody else. I don't want anybody else to have to go through that. I mean, I, 
I want, I, I think I would like people to understand that that's a possibility and that's something to be concerned about and to have compassion for those people who are going through that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't definitely don't want anybody else to go through that. I don't want anybody else to get sick from this stuff. The worst part about one of, one of the worst parts about this disease is that when you get sick and you're in, you're in intensive care, you're isolated and your yeah. family can't come and see you. So you're there and you're dying around strangers with masks on. You have no personal connection as you're going through a very scary time in your life. You know, it's just, I can't imagine going through that. I mean, that would be pretty terrible. Um, I, I don't think it's so. I think once we get a handle on how we can identify and test, once we can get a handle on how, if we can get a, a, a vaccine for this, and and once once people start getting sick and recovering, so we get granted. There's people saying, "Well, 98 percent of the population are going to be fine," and that's sounds good until you know until you run the numbers and find out how many millions of people that is you're talking about not being fine. But the good part of that is that of the 98 percent of the people who do get it and are fine, they're going to build immunity to it, and they're going to pass that immunity on to the kids. And this is how you f- end up getting rid of it the long term. Right. It's like we do with Spanish flu. You, you, we got rid of Spanish flu for the most part just because we, you know, it, that's just the way those things work. You build up antibodies. Those antibodies get passed on to kids. Um, th- so, I mean, eventually it's not going to be much of an issue. But then the next one's going to be coming down the road. This isn't something that just happens every hundred years. We had... We had scares of this with SARS. We had scares of this with the uh, bird in, flu. In we twenty years, we've had two yep. two other major coronavirus outbreaks. We had H one N one, which was the Spanish flu, an outbreak yep. then with swine flu. It killed two hundred thousand people worldwide. Like th- we went a long stretch without something very serious, and then after nine eleven, after two thousand and three, I think it's the fluoride in the water or the chemtrails. We started to have a lot of these outbreaks. So like this is a reality uh, that that. That you probably will see a lot. You know, Levy is going to have the flyest, most stylish mask. I can, I, I can feel it. But, but why oh, not? Sure. You know, I mean, you, you want to protect yourself. You want to be stylish. Mm-hmm. People are going to make money off of this. They're going to create a business around this new normal that we're going to be going through, right? And there's a lot about the new normal I think is positive, and there's a lot about it that kind of sucks. But I think people starting to to try to be more self-independent, more self-reliant, uh, having money in the bank, protect themselves against this sort of thing happening again, taking better care of themselves, taking better care of their health. Um, you, the flu is always bad every year because people just go out and they don't get the flu shots and then they go out there and they end up getting it and passing around. Well, what if we were practicing that social distancing and the hand washing and the, and wearing the mask at that point, right? I mean, a, a lot of people may balk at that and say that's kind of, not what I'm used to when I grew up, it was different. You know, I mean, when I grew up, we people today, when, when we, when people say, well, that's not how I grew up. I, I don't want to be like that. When I grew up, we had concrete on the playgrounds. We didn't have seat belts. We used to ride in the back of the truck, the pickup trucks, right? Um, nobody wore helmets. Uh, it, we all smoked. I mean, it was lots adding up. Like, lots adding up here, Harry. <laughs> 
Can you just so, imagine 12-year-old so, Reinhold smoking a cigarette at the park? <laughs> <laughs> so, so things change. We, people started uh, understanding that they can't can just keep doing that anymore, and there's ways that we can make our life better by taking these precautions. This is just another one of those learning moments, so those precautions that we may start just taking, uh, so we prevent this in the future from happening. You know, sometimes it has to take people going through the pain in order to learn the lessons that reinforce them to have better lives later going on. Did, Reinhold, are you so old you got sent to pox parties? I, I got sent to I chicken go to pox parties. I got sent <laughs> yeah, like, and I got chicken pox, Levy. I mean, did, when you got chicken pox, I mean, you're the youngest of an older. Like, I was told to hug my brother. I was, kiss, kiss Jessica. Get her sick, please. Get it out of the way. I'm sorry. What? I didn't hear you. Did you ever like, did you, did you ever have chicken pox? Like, were you sent to a pox party or anything? I did. I did when I was really little. And I remember me and my cousin, uh, we were kind of, I don't know why we were together. I remember playing Barbies with her and we both had it. That's my only memory I have though. <laughs> I remember <laughs> having it, but I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I just, I look at it and I go, it's, it's, it's an unfair unrealistic ask of public health officials to say to the country you you can't open up you can't go to work like i see i see landscapers out every single day and this is the problem with any form of government when it when it gets involved like we had voluntary shutdowns so people always go well you're just for government shutdowns no i'm not i'm for you have to listen to the nuance the NBA, the NCAA, my own company, we were voluntarily shutting down because it was the right thing to do for us out of rational self-interest, but also our communities. And people's behavior would have adjusted and would have continued to adjust. Yes, there would have been bad actors. There would have been people doing the wrong thing. And that's just the reality of it. Uh, but when you, when you pro, any form of prohibition creates a perverse incentive in people because they want to be rebellious. And so they want to start going out and, and they want to do the thing that you tell them that they can't do, you know, and then government applies things so unevenly that you've got landscapers deemed essential. They're out working construction workers are out working, but you're telling me that these other sets of employees are not essential, that they can't work, that they can't live their life. Like it, it's, it's unfairly and unevenly applied and it increases the amount of misery. And that is something that just cannot, it's not that I, I want it to open up or think it should open up or whatever. I think there's going to be civil unrest once we get to the summer. Because when you start combining the fact that uh, you have mass unemployment, you have a lot of tension, people are literally arguing over, if you go outside, you're going to kill me. You have, you know, I'm in a Facebook group that the lovely Trisha Stewart Mann started about Karen posting. You've got surveillance by neighbors going on. You've got that. You, you, you have all this uncertainty. Predictability is what really helps people. And if you're a governor of a state, you've got to come out and give people predictability. And I know that you, 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 you've got to make the tough decision of balancing public health and what these public health officials are saying, but also understanding the very real impact of if you let this stay shut down too long and people can't work, then you're going to get civil unrest because as the weather gets nicer and people are cooped up in their houses and you're now going to arrest people for going to parks or driving their cars like in Pennsylvania or 
these these little tyrants that make these tiny decisions every time you see one of these people getting arrested on the beach alone you go that's one less day i'm going to stay in quarantine voluntarily and you start to get to a point where people will just start disobey wait a minute Let's keep it going. Keep everything going. Let's start the civil disobedience move. I think that, but I think that's really where it needs to get. Like you have to understand politicians are absolute pussies. They do exactly what they're told to do by the loudest voice. And so if you're mad that you're not working and you're afraid for your economic situation, call your representatives, call your governor's office, start calling people. Now, the reality is the decent thing for the next two to three months is staying inside. It just, it, it is, it's the best, most logical, rational choice, you know, is staying in, sheltering in place, being quarantined. I'm not going to change my behavior. If a restaurant opens up, I'm not going because I don't know if I've had it. I think I may have had it, but until I can get an antibody test, I'm not putting anybody in my family at risk and I'm not putting myself at risk. And, and so the open up the economy people need to know that's that's the reality. The, the behavior is permanently changed somewhat. And so you're not going to go back to the tips that you may have had in January. And I think Donald Trump is one of these people who thinks that he can will the economy back to January 2020 by September 2020. And that's just not the reality. We're in for the long haul. And so but the people who are going to have to shelter in place more aggressively than I might have to. You're going to have to understand the rest of those people are not trying to kill you. They're trying to not lose their house or not lose their car or pay for insurance and insulin. Like people have to work there. There is a consequence to keeping people sheltered too long and it will be civil unrest. And I think at the end of the day, the deal was if you stay in your house until May, then we're going to flatten the curve. We've built capacity and we have a better chance of dealing with this. But it is un unreasonable and irrational to think that you can protect everybody from this disease. You just can't. Like, the reality is everybody's going to have to be exposed to this disease at some point. And when you keep everybody in a zip code, only the only place they can go is one store. You've created a hot zone for that zip code. You've made the problem somewhat worse because everybody's going to the grocery store. Everybody's bored, so the people who can't stay, they're going to the girl. Uh, you know, I'm I'm out of Ziploc bags. Like I literally had that thought today. I'm like, I'm out of Ziploc bags. I should probably go to Meyer. Like, no, I don't need Ziploc bags. Like I've got other bags I can use. You know, but that that pops up. And so what does everybody who doesn't have self control do? They go to the store, right? Well, you've got a mass quarantine, and people are still going out. They're still doing, th but you're funneling them into a single location. And you're going to make that you're not actually achieving what you what your public health officials think they're achieving. So um, I don't know. There, there is no right answer here. There is only sucky answers. And the sucky answer is everybody's behavior is going to change and nobody's going to get paid as much. And there's just like, I don't know. Is that message filtering down Levy to to you, to your friends like. Is that is that reaching people that are kind of half paying attention? Do you think? I don't know. I I think in some ways it is, but um, that's still a big question mark. I'm I'm going to leave it at a question mark. Okay. Well, I'll say something here real quick though. If we had good testing, I mean, I and it's it's something that we just need to keep harping on that if we had good 
testing where you could get a result back in 15 minutes, half hour, realize that the the reason this thing spreads so so much is that you're able to infect multiple people because you're going four or five days in an effective effective state but not showing symptoms yet so you don't know you have it if we could do testing like every day just take a test we would know whether we had that test or not know whether or not to avoid going out and being around people wait you know the two weeks inside shelter in place to your own self-quarantine mm-hmm. and then you go back out knowing that you're protected from it. You're not going to give it to anybody else. If we could get to that place, we can knock down the transmission rate of this thing. You're able to a tremendous amount to less than like what the flu would be. Right. So in an effect, we could, if we're, we're cutting that four or five day transmission period down to a day with testing, just do testing on a daily basis if mm-hmm. you need to, or when you go into work and they do the temperature test, you know, if you are p- positive, you take the test and you find out if you have it, that sort of thing is what would kill this out to a point where we wouldn't need to be sheltering in place, but we're taking so long to get to that point. You know, that's why we wanted to shelter in place. So we can get to a point where we can do that kind of testing, you know, drive through testing. That's what we were promised weeks ago. Right. Uh, Trump said he was going to have millions of them ready to go drive-through testing, uh, a, a Google website that they didn't know that they were building. All this stuff was going to happen, and none of it's happening. And that's the frustrating part on my end is that we need more. We need companies to start stepping up and telling the FDA to get, get bent. We're going to make this stuff happen. You can choose to approve it or not, and if you don't approve it, we're going to let everybody know why you're not you're not doing it. So you're going to get a lot of pressure, and that's the way you change the minds of the politicians is they see their poll numbers dropping. Yeah, if they see their poll numbers drop, they will act. That's Her- what happened here. They they saw their poll numbers. Now they're seeing their poll numbers going up because everybody's like saying that they're taking care of it and they're looking like leaders, and that causes their poll numbers to rise. Well, they're going to keep doing that. They're not going to get away from that until they start dropping again and until people start demanding that they change what they're doing. Now, right now, it's not the right time to do that until we get that testing in place. Once we get that testing in place, then we can go on that that uh, war path and have that done. Harry, your mom is uh, in my watch party on Facebook. That's what that annoying uh, audio that keeps popping up. Uh, she says <laughs> she says Harry was a spreader. <laughs> um, oh my god <laughs> my mom has been uh, showing up in a lot of my streams uh she actually <laughs> showed up in uh, liberty and chill stream uh last week well don't go to his only fans okay uh, yeah yeah those are uh, not mom approved but yeah the whole test <laughs> really yeah, yeah the testing things would have been the 15 minute or five minute test was would be worth his weight in gold right now every factory would have wanted it every airline would have wanted you would have made everyone show up at least you know like you want to show up an hour to get through their stupid tsa security and then you have to show up for another 15 minutes to get tested at the airport you know yes the and they it's this testing thing that's really that's really going to try to get this thing back to any sort of normal is the the quick 15 minute test or just letting people know you had it you're fine. You don't need to be tested anymore. And then give you like some sort of like weird code thing that you can show people like a card, you know, and it's, that's what, that's the world we're going to end up going back into. 
So we can protect the vulnerable, you know, so, the, you know, and then be able to have masks and stuff. So, you know, when we get people boarded on the airplane, there's going to be the vulnerable, the vulnerable people, you know, who, you know, have not been exposed to the coronavirus yet. You know, they're going to get put on the airplane, put in the back, put it in a little vacuum tube, and then everyone else going to get on. That's what it's going to be like. It's going to suck. It's going to be weird. But hey, yeah, and people may and people may want to choose to get it. You know, if they think that they're able to beat it. You know, they're in good health, they're young, they say, they'll say, I'll take the chance, 98% chance, right, to, to beat this thing, and then I can be protected from it as well. There's people who are going to want to do that and want to congregate and have those pox parties to try to get the herd immunity back up a little bit more. But the problem is, is that we can't go down the herd immunity path right now because we have no way of identifying who has and who doesn't have it for such a long period, right? So that's that four or five day period that's just what's really driving all of this. Knock that down with the testing, we can go down that path. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But it's all yeah. But it all like you know stems back to the bungling of the test. Um, I want to give. I want to pause just in case. Leave you would like to say anything. I'm good. Okay. Um. The and you really encourage everybody, and I'll make sure it's like first in the in the show notes. This interview with Michael, Michael Olsterholm, who was the epidemiologist that was on Rogan that did more to wake the country up to the, the threats of this than anybody else. And he talked about the, the problem with the testing, testing, testing thing is supply chain. And so, you know, there, the, he talked about this one machine that makes like the, in the test, there's this fluid that's used and, one company makes the machines and China bought all the machines. And so now they're trying to build new machines. And so, you know, so the, the reality, he's like, the reality is that testing, you know, everybody going to CVS and getting a test may not happen until the fall. So our government messed up so bad that we're going to be faced with a choice next month. I'm telling you it's next month or June. It isn't, the public health people that think that we're going to accept a shutdown and that it's going to be nice out and everybody's not allowed to go to a park. Like the, you're wrong. Like people are just going to disobey you. It will be, you'll be putting people in prison. It'll be such disobedience that, you know, you can't keep the prison. It's, it's ludicrous. Like these petty tyrants that want to shut down the parks and shut down golf courses and shut down beaches and keep people from going for a walk. And they're, you know, going for a drive is not a threat to anybody. You're not spreading the disease. If you're going for a drive, if you're pulling people over and giving a ticket, all you're doing is eroding people's faith in your institution and your, your power is diminishing, which I'm okay with, but you all who listen to the government, who work in the government, who might listen to the show need to realize you're eroding. So somebody on Twitter goes, why is Lady Gaga the spokesperson for the World Health Organization? Why are people going to listen to Lady Gaga? And I said, because we have either propagandized to the point for our own selfish reasons, a diminishing belief in institutions or institutions have lost faith in the public that they serve by being incompetent. To the point that the only time that anybody will listen, the, the only people that we trust in the society are people who make us feel good. And so Lady Gaga is a necessary spokesperson. Um, but, you know, people are very, we've always said it. It's one of those moments where we always said if everybody had to write the check on April 15th, they'd take their taxes a lot more seriously. You know, we've always said 
you know, people, if they just would stop getting seduced by breads and circuses, then they might pay attention more. Well, why do you have breads and circuses? To keep people complacent, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. Uh, Hold on, Levy's got no problem. Yeah, Levy's got to run. Um, I think we bordered tears. It's too bad. Uh, so We're scared her. Yep. She's, so the reality is that you, uh, what was I saying? Oh, if you think that there is a governor in this country or presidents or people who are up for election who think that they want to shut down their economies in an election year, you're fooling yourself. If you think there's a politician in the country that wants to shut down the breads and circuses and keep you from going out, you're fooling yourself. They want you spending money. That's the entire reason that the Fed is in charge of unemployment. They want everybody working. Why are they in charge of unemployment? The Fed is in charge of unemployment after a riotous 60s and 70s. They want people working. Where liberty is going to be lost is in the places that you don't feel it. Do you ever think about all that Edward Snowden revealed? Do you ever think about the fact that every single electronic communication that you, Harry does, but everybody (laughs) else, do you ever think about the fact that every text message, picture, every piece of information and data that you send over the internet around the world is collected, including in the United States? It's that stuff that gets eroded. It's the, the Patriot Act. Oh, we were told the Patriot Act would be sunsetted and we'll renew it and we can renew it and it's not going to last. Well, we just renewed the Patriot Act. It's going to be in the places that you don't expect it. And lo and behold, while we're doing this show, Politico uh, at 7.55, almost an hour ago, posted the following article. Kushner's team seeks national coronavirus surveillance system. <laughs> okay, this is where liberty is lost. This is what I've been talking about. Uh, and so people keep bringing up South Korea, for instance, they keep bringing up Sweden. The data is not in on Sweden. We don't know if they're going to catch on fire. Sweden has not shut anything down. They're all doing what they say. I saw AEIR, uh, wrote an article from a guy who was in Sweden and, and he basically was like, everybody here is super responsible and takes this very seriously. And they're all staying inside. So nobody needed to be shut down. Unlike a lot of you rubes who were going on St. Patrick's Day to go drink at your local bar. Like the difference is that they were going to make choices that Americans were not going to make. Um, and the, the South Koreans keep getting brought up. Well, the South Koreans have a very intense surveillance system uh, across the spectrum. They used tracking and data. Like, are you comfortable so we need to get the economy going. Let's do what South Korea did. Okay, well, A, they did a lot more testing about six weeks before it hit and then isolated people and traced them and put basically a digital tracker on their phone that said, uh, hey, you can't leave your house, and if you leave your house, this is going to beep, and we're going to come pick you up because you're a spreader. And they're not going to take you to friend jail. They're going to take you to a pit. To a quarantine. Put a bullet in house. Well, that's North Korea. This yeah, is that's South North Korea, right? Yeah. North Korea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> South Korea. But they're coming to pick you up and they're taking your freedom. Starcraft mines. You know. It's not that... It's not that... That certainly would be possible in America for the government to do that. With they were, got cooperation from the three or four major cell phone companies. But it probably wouldn't be able to be spun up in time. And so that's not possible. But would Americans or accept... it's already there. <laughs> right. What Americans, yeah, a lot of this data showing where my cell phone has been going is a little creepy, but 
<laughs> would America be comfortable with the government of some sort putting a tracking device in their phone? Do you think that they're ever going to take that off? So you're, you're, you're choosing to stay at home for the next month and making that financial sacrifice and losing that little bit of freedom, or you're talking about a more permanent freedom that is lost of the government tracking you. And the problem is, is the people are already okay with doing that because they're turning that stuff on on their phone because they find convenience of it. And they're giving it to the government automatically anyway. Right. So I don't think they're that. Is cons- uh, I don't think the pe- there's the majority of people are as concerned about that sort of thing as we might be. Right. About privacy and what the government could do and why they can do it. I think once the government starts abusing that information, you might see them starting to get the hint and why that's not a good thing. But with the frog boiling situation that's happening with that information, people will just keep accepting it. They already do that. They just they just they're just too incompetent to do anything with the information. They already have your info. They already, yeah, they they said, already have just too they've got the they've got the warehouse of data. They've got the you know the the big SQL you know yep. back end with all that stuff's there. They just don't have somebody writing the right queries to mm-hmm. get real time information out of it that they can use effectively. Once right. they get some smart people in there that know how to write that code, that data is ready to be pulled from. But they can't because the smart people that know how to do anything with that data work at Apple or Amazon to sell you stuff. You know, if you're good at doing that, you work for Apple to make sure people like Chris keeps buying the new Apple product. You know, they track them, they watch them, they know exactly when his battery is going dead, they know exactly when he's going to want to buy a new phone, and they'll start sending him ads for it. You know, well, I get that. I get I get an HP printer, and they're like, you know, wanting to send information to their servers to let them let my printer tell them when I'm out of ink, and they'll send me some ink. Yep. I'm like, no, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> well, at work, right? Someone was looking at the f- weird firmware on the printers. I was like, what is this weird firmware? It's like it's a Russian firmware on it. Why? So it allows me to use any toner I want. I don't have to buy it <laughs> from Lexmark. Screw them. All right. <laughs> so let me read this in real time, and we'll give you some information. We've not digested this, so it's just sort of a gut reaction. So if you're listening this eight years later, like I don't know what to tell you. Um White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner, who is his son-in-law, Trump's son-in-law, his task force has reached out to a range of health technology companies about creating a national coronavirus surveillance system to give the government a near real-time view of where patients are seeking treatment and for what, and whether hospitals can accommodate them, according to four people with knowledge of the discussions. The proposed national network could help determine which areas of the country can safely relax social distancing rules and which should remain vigilant. But it would also represent a significant expansion of government use of individual patient data, forcing a new reckoning over privacy limits amid a national crisis. Health privacy laws are already already grant broad exceptions for national security purposes. But the prospect of compiling a national database of potentially sensitive health information has prompted concerns that its impact on civil liberties well after the coronavirus threat recedes, with some critics comparing it to the Patriot Act enacted after the 9-11 attacks. Already, the Trump administration has sought to ease data-sharing rules and assure health data companies that they won't be penalized for sharing information with state and federal, a move driven in part by Kushner's push to assemble the national network, according to an individual with knowledge of the decision. This is a genuine crisis, and we have to work through it and do our best to protect people's health, said Jessica Rich, a former director of the Federal Trade Commission's Consumer Protection Bureau. But doing that doesn't mean we have to destroy privacy. 
Currently, the federal government plays only a limited role in handling health information, with its access restricted by various privacy laws, in many cases reliant on voluntary data sharing agreements with individual states. The project, based on interviews with seven tech executives, government officials, and other people familiar with its contours, because nobody believes the media, they always have to tell you how many people they interviewed for the story, um... It would allow federal officials to continuously track elements like hospital bed availability and the flow of patients into specific emergency rooms across the country, thereby enabling the government to rush resources to parts of the country before they've hit a surge of coronavirus. It allows you to be much more targeted and precise in how you engage, one person said. They need data to make policy decisions, and so that's what we and others have been asked to do. You know who else makes policy decisions for their local hospital? Local hospitals. And doctors and the supply chains that are attached to that. That's who makes the decisions where they need the market takes care of that stuff. Uh, that will that will suffice if the federal government will stop helping. That could get the nation out in front of the fast spreading virus. Let me repeat that line. This is a stunningly stupid line. That could help the nation get out in front of the fast-spreading virus. We're at the peak. We're literally at the apex in America. We, if you wanted to get out in front of it, you needed to do that in January when Peter Navarro was telling him he needed to. Um, which and officials anticipate will strain the healthcare systems of nearly every major city over the next few months and threaten to recur in pockets of the nation for some time after that. Yet concerns about data sharing and patient privacy aren't the only obstacles to the plan. One of the out-of-the-box series of initiatives brought by Kushner's team, which composed of a range of federal officials, friends, and leaders from the private sector seeking to promote innovative responses to the coronavirus crisis. The proposal for a national surveillance network has also faced resistance internally from some health officials who argue that the federal government should only go as far as setting broad standards for disease and resource tracking and leave it to individual states to stand up to their own surveillance networks, according to two individuals with knowledge to the discussion. Other officials contend that the administration should build any new monitoring system on its own without the private sector's involvement. Yeah, I'm sure the federal government can manage building a, na a nationwide health database and roll it out. The Obamacare website comes to mind. Um, so some public health care experts, meanwhile, suggested that the administration might instead build out and reorient an, an existing surveillance system within the CDC and prevention that uh, aid response to private prior epidemics. Use the systems you have, former CDC Director Tom Frieden said. In an emergency, what works best is scaling up existing robust systems, not trying to create a new system. Uh, so there's a lot more to this. I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, so, you know, Tom makes a good point here. We already found out the FDA and the CDC had so much bureaucracy, it slowed down the response to coronavirus. Why add more layers of legislation? Why add more data that is just going to be confused? What are your reactions, Harry? You are a privacy nut. What's your reaction to that? Uh, <laughs> well, that's the, the 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 weird. Like I kept saying, it's like I hate that they have the data, but they can't. They usually have failed and did everything with any attempt with it. They're, like I said, like we said before, it's just they're just too. It's they don't know what to do with it. Right. You know it's. They just they just have it. They just have the, 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 I don't want them to have it. 
like and that's why like i make the, a lot of the decisions i make and do those the weird things that i do you know i was trying to keep that information safe and private to myself so initial reactions reinhold uh, it's the wrong answer from people who probably shouldn't be leading task force like that that have no understanding of uh medical things or how how these things work or what's needed to fight against a pandemic when the people who were in the Trump administration who were trained to fight the pandemic and then went through that exercise, all, all 30 of them were um, basically not in the administration less than a year later. Um, there's nobody in the, in there that's got that knowledge. It's that's doing the proper learning on that. And if, if you think Jared Kushner is the best pick for that, then I have to question your thought process and evaluation of who would be a good uh, person to run that type of thing, right? So that's what concerns me most about that. The the privacy thing, like Harry said, they're they're going to get the data. They're going to try and get the data. They're going to work at it unless we fight back and tell them no. Um, but that requires a majority of people to do because they're not going to respect the, the minority view in this country right now. So especially under a time of crisis, unfortunately. Uh, but we can just keep raising the alarm and keep um, making the points. And hopefully eventually we can get enough people to understand the dangers of this. And, um, you know, maybe that first time that somebody abuses the system and uh, does something very, very terrible, maybe people will start to wake up and, and listen. Maybe. I don't you, know. <clears throat> you mean like Carter Page FISA warrants? Well, and then those, what happened with that? The FISA bill came back up for renewal. And all the Republicans renewed it without changing it. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> the Republicans so, who were mad about the FISA warrant abuses. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they, they were told by Barr that Barr would just fix it. Oh, yeah. yeah. He'll take care of it. I, I'd love to know where the Tea Party's at. Uh, another headline <laughs> from Nick Gillespie in Reason Magazine. Trump wants $2 trillion. Pelosi wants $1 trillion for next corona spending bill. The most libertarian president of all time wants to spend $2 trillion where Nancy Pelosi wants to spend another trillion dollars. Um, they, Mitch M leader Mc, McConnell, Pelosi, Trump all agree a fourth spending bill will happen in April. Trump wants to spend it on infrastructure. It should be very big and bold $2 trillion and should be focused solely on jobs and rebuilding the once great infrastructure of our country. She's been pushing that infrastructure thing for three years now. Infrastructure. He hasn't been able to get it through yet. It, it, 2017, he started Infrastructure Week, and it's become such a joke that it's got its own urban dictionary. Well, you want to know where the Tea Party went to. They went to the same place the anti-war people did. So when the anti-war people, uh, when their president got into power, uh, they all went, oh, it's fine. We just forget about it, right? Yeah. So the same thing happened here. Republican got into power, and all those anti the, uh, those. Tea Party people are going, oh, our, our guy's there, so he's going to take care of it for us. So we're just going to stay quiet and not not mm -hmm. question him. Let him do what he, he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So that's the same thing. That yeah. Happened. So it, it really put Bush's uh, spending in perspective now, doesn't it? You're just like, wow, man, I didn't know, like, uh, you know, of all the presidents, you know, like I got the vote for. This is the least, you know, it's like the man, a penny pincher Bush. I, was, I voted, you know, <laughs> I voted at a time when Reagan was on the ticket, and look what he did. He was the first person to go over a trillion dollars debt. I wish we only had a trillion dollars <laughs> debt right now. Yeah. 
So Nancy Pelosi, she dancing in the streets. She's not only a trillion. She's not looking for infrastructure. Nancy Pelosi um, said that she wants to push for another trillion dollars. I saw her on the Sunday shows talking about needs to be more focused on health care and it needs to be focused on the hospitals and states. Uh, Andrew Cuomo every day in his conferences is saying we're going to need bailouts at the state and local level. The feds are just going to have to print money and give it to us. We can't afford this. Indiana alone is going to lose like a billion dollars on this. We had reserves. I don't know what you're going to do with somebody like Illinois who can't pay their bills already. Um, oh, I know what they'll do. They'll just print more money. Um, so M- McConnell. Buy some, some of Chicago. You know, let us buy it. Yeah. Did you see the Chicago mayor got a haircut and everybody's pissed because it's illegal to get a haircut right now, but she got one. Oh, my, my barber used gloves. Like, okay. What is this? Animal so, farm? Some, some pigs are equal than others. It's Chicago. I can't believe anyone is shocked. It is Chicago. Yeah. All animals are equal. Uh, other animals are more equal. Um, McConnell told the AP that there will be another package and healthcare must be at top at the top of the list. Early indicators about the efficacy of the cares act and federal efforts to prop up the economy are not promising on Friday. The small business administration botched the online rollout of a loan program and early responses to various bailouts are not heartening in order to maximize payout payouts from the government. Airlines are flying empty planes and the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. fired 100 musicians, quote, just hours after Trump signed a twenty five million dollar taxpayer bailout for the cultural center. Uh, So, you know, I just find it hilarious. And then Nick Gillespie did a great interview with Tom Matt, Thomas Massey, that the Tea Party president is going to double what Nancy Pelosi wants to spend in the next trillion dollar bailout. I mean, it just. It just strains credulity at this point to think that this person is a limited government person. I don't understand how my fellow Republicans who are, you know, when I was a baby Republican who was showing libertarian tendencies, they'd all go, well, you know, I'm a Reaganite. Now I just look at these guys and, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I have, as a libertarian, you call me a liberal, but I've become more conservative than you in some of this stuff. Uh, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand how these people that I used to be in the Republican Party with can look at this guy and go, this is even close to what I value or hold dear. Well, Trump would have pimp. I mean, um, Reagan, Reagan would have pimp slapped Trump, you know, <laughs> right. Just they would they were they were so different as far as how they looked at government and how they looked at how things should be run. And I just can't see, you know, that people are saying, well, I'm the party of, of Reagan. I'm like, well, then you should be completely against this party that has come up and doing this in your name. Yeah. You know, it should be, you should be the angriest of all and they're not. That's no. the frustrating part. They make excuses for it all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Ben Shapiro has been pretty good on a lot of this stuff and he does everything he can to circle the wagons and blame everybody other than Trump for all this, and you're just like, why are you protecting him? The the more that people protect these bad politicians, and Donald Trump is a politician, and Donald Trump is the government, and if you hate the government, then you hate Donald Trump. I mean, it just it's he's not unique, he's not special. He is he is on a mad spending spree. He doesn't really understand. As I talk in the swamp episode with with uh, Rob Cortell about, he doesn't totally under he he's like interest rates are at zero. We can borrow zero. 
It's like, this isn't building a building. You're not borrowing from Chase Bank 0% interest. Like, you're borrowing it from ourselves. Like, there is there is a very real economic cost to printing this money, and he just doesn't seem to get it. He's, he's very out of his element. And uh, I'm not sure that Joe Biden is any better. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not. <laughs> Well, because like he's looking at that aspect of like you know I borrow this money, I have the opportunity to make this money back. You know, if it was a business that ran, you know, ran correctly, and if it doesn't, you know, file bankruptcy, pay it off for pennies a dollar, keep going. But that's not how government functions. Yeah, and, and none of the people who are going to be running for president the last you know thirty years are going to have the ability to to manage the and have a good understanding of the government is because it's too big. There's too much stuff going on. You have to you have to trust that they're going to put in people who are managing certain aspects of it that are going to be qualified and know what they're doing and not taking that and saying, okay, I just want somebody who's going to be loyal to me. Right. And I don't care what they know. Right. I mean, he put <laughs> who do you put in front of you know in the task force, put uh, Mike Pence in front of the task force. Uh, we had Ben Carson sitting over there, who's actually a doctor, who could have who could have been stepped in, and, and and that would have given it a little bit of legitimacy. He's putting people in positions of power right now and in offices right now that have no experience at all with anything that's going on in their in their departments that they're supposed to be running, and it's it's scary. I mean, I I think just about anybody else would come in there and realize after the first week or two that they bit off way more than they could chew. And start saying, I need help. I need people who can do this for me mm-hmm. so that I can sleep at night. Because there's no way that I could do this job and not, you know, I'd have to be awake the whole time just just trying to read through all the reports he's probably got to read through. That's why Trump doesn't read reports because it's too much work. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start wrapping up. Time to uh, time to wrap up this party. Levy had to go. She had a call with her professor. And he had some good news. You know, one of the the sad parts about all this is the private little tragedies that happen. You know, the the person that's the first in their family to graduate from college and they don't get to walk and, you know, or the senior who doesn't get to experience their last day in high school or, you know, nothing lethal, nothing like major like job loss nothing terribly panic inducing but just like the the things that are really hard for people and contributes to the grief and one of the things that levy was going through was that she's worked so long many 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 semesters to get to uh graduate with her degree in ceramics down and she's a fantastic artist as you can always tell when she's on she's always got like a a great setup Um, but she wasn't going to get to graduate wasn't going to get to do her senior show has worked four years for this one show and it wasn't going to happen and she had to go because she is going to get her diploma this semester and is not going to be delayed and so that's great news and so hopefully one of the benefits of going over the hump the next couple of weeks is that we can start to see a little more of those, you know, all that stuff that felt like it was being taken from us. It can be added back to our life and done in a fun and different, unique way, maybe. So congratulations to her. We're very happy for her and and glad that she uh, had to leave to take that phone call. So, uh, all right. That is Levy's final word. Uh, Harry, final word for you. Uh, First off, before I get on mine, uh, does she have to pay for the full year? You know, considering, you know, you lost the big payoff. Do you, 
She she well nope. she gets it now so yes yeah, she pains for the piece of paper not the ceremony yeah oh, exactly yeah, boo yeah <laughs> the other thing I was going to say like can you imagine to be like I was telling this to people if you imagine being a sophomore in high school just sitting there nothing to do knowing that after all this you have to go back and say screw it give me the GED test I'm done with this place I'm not going back yeah you know but you know that's me um I'm I'm weird all right so no no, no we know. Yeah, going uh, going for it like with this thing. It's, uh, I don't see the uh, the Great Depression happening after what is all this is said and done because of the effects of what happened, what what caused the Great Depression. Um, the thing that's going to make sure the Great Depression is going uh, the the Great Depression n- another depression like that is going to happen again is if you allow the free market or capitalism just to work, do what it needs to do and do what it needs uh, and does what it does best. It will pull you out of that fast. It'll be a blip. And it'll just move. But if you restrict it, print out trillions of money and stimulus package, try to become the last borrower, you know, the, the you know, b- let people borrow money and just keep borrowing money. And then you eventually stop allowing the borrowing money. Well, guess what? You just made under the Great Depression and you won't let capitalism get yourself out of it because you believe it brought you to this hole, even though that system did not bring you to this hole where you're at. Yeah. And that is the only thing I'm afraid of. That's the that's the that's the scenario I see that the uh, great uh, uh, some sort of depression will happen after in, in all this. But no, if you allow the you know the marketplace and allow humans to interact, because no one is going to want to willfully not work. No one really wa- okay. There are some people, Kevin. Oh, there's some people that don't really want to work. But you know what? You don't work. You don't eat. People want to work. People want to eat. People have things to do. People want to buy cars. People want to go on trips. Right. And those things cost money. They have to do things. They're willing to work for that. One of the one of the unforeseen consequences. I heard Ben Shapiro talk about this. He's like, you know, Andrew Yang predicted UBI would be necessary for that bottom thirty million unemployable people over a period of many many years. Well, we did it in about three weeks. And so, if you don't open the economy and start getting those people back to work, then the calls for UBI and a permanent paycheck to to people is going to grow and grow and grow. And then, you know, your Weimar Germany, like it's ludicrous. And so one of the dangers of not, not getting people back to work sooner is that you, you run the risk of a bigger welfare state that we already can't afford. Uh, the other aspect that, um, that I heard another anecdote that I heard was that like these gig economy jobs in Europe, Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to a friend who's in Finland, and she's like, "Man, nah, no, we're all good. Everybody's good. They're sheltering in place. They got big paychecks. Like, you know, in in England, Uber Eats and some of these other gig economy companies cannot get anybody to work. Now, maybe part of that is their own wanting to protect themselves and stay safe, but may also be that people just have no incentive to work because there's no reason to go out and make money because p- people are being taken care of. So." You know, it's it, it's a it's a conundrum, Harry. Correct. But if you sit there and you like, you end up like just shooting like you know, your economy in the in the foot, just like California did. Like their gig economy, the whole tr- that's the thing that's that's the problem that uh, California is going to end up having is because a lot of the things that people are going to use to pull themselves out of it, those gig workers, those freelancers, to get themselves out, California can't do. They shot themselves in the foot at the beginning of this year, right? So either they repeal that as fast as they freaking can, right? 
Or they're just going to make money off taxes because people bring things into their port and drive right on through, you know. And of course, the economy of California is going to change too because if we're not shipping and buying things from China and they're either made inside the United States, a lot of the money that California makes is just because things get put, they hit their port and they tax it. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to get hit. I've, I am shocked. I am absolutely shocked. It's not going to be uh, California is not being a, like a the massive like outbreak hotspot that new york city is that is just shocking to me and it just shows you the the foresight or just the self-interest of tech businesses of shutting things down so early so fast because it, once it once it hits that once it would hit the homeless population and started hitting some of the tech people boom like wildfire it would have just spread uncontrollably like wildfire through southern california socal no, 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 no. I, you know, we started on such a hopeful note, and then we end with that, right? Because you brought that up, and I still, I'm still telling you, like, capitalism will be fine. It will pull you yourselves out. Just remember, just watch out when you see that crazy person that does sit there and like, we need to restrict and keep borrowing. It's like, no, look what really caused the Great Depression. You kept letting people borrow. They kept borrowing and borrowing, and when you finally said no, you cannot borrow. Boom! That's when banks start failing. Yeah. Reinhold. I just think it is uh, uh, incredible when we read back on what you're reading back on the uh, Spanish flu and how things were taken care of then. And we think that in 100 years we'd have learned better, but humans have this capacity for just completely forgetting about their history or not caring about it. I, I wrote up repeating it. Yeah, I wrote those over. up and sorry to cut you off to self-promote, but I wrote those up and I'll put those links. So if you want to share those two stories, they're in two articles on we are libertarians.com. Yeah. And, and it's, it's when I was reading the, the, the Gilded Gate, you know, uh, about our, the immigration system back in the, about that same time frame. it was a, it was just eye opening to see how, the people then were saying and doing and enacting and believing the exact same things that we're seeing our politicians say now. We haven't changed. We haven't demanded better um, of our society, of our leaders, of our just of our communities to to not repeat the same mistakes we should have already learned from. Right? How many people were saying that we need to be prepared for a pandemic over the past two decades? I mean, Bush said it. Obama said it. Uh, every health don't, official said don't it. Don't mention Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. Don't say Bill Gates because then you just every <laughs> anti-vaxxer is going to come out of the woodwork. Oh my god! I I posted a meme that it mentioned Bill Gates and it was off to the races on my wall. It was crazy. Yeah. It's and and the guy's given so much of his money that he made right uh, to fighting this sort of stuff. Right, so he has some. Some saying it in my imagination. It, it He's was, trying to raise the bell. Everybody's trying to say. You know, all, all these smart people are saying we need to be prepared for this, but everybody else was just like, nah, we're fine because they didn't learn from history. Yeah. So and somebody I, somebody was making the point because we talked about that on one of the shows. Somebody was making the point that he should pay nine billion dollars more in taxes, literally nine billion dollars more in taxes. And uh, so he is basically funding. I'm just trying to see if I can find this, but. I don't think I will be able to. I posted so many dang memes. So Michael Nielsen on Twitter wrote, Bill Gates is setting up factories to manufacture seven leading vaccine candidates before and before we know which is the best and safest. They're testing they're testing the vaccines in parallel and then throw away all but the factory for the best vaccine. May save many months. Just extraordinary. So the guy's building seven factories to build other uh 
vaccines seven in parallel. Yeah, and, seven different types. Sorry, Miss Pat's calling. And then somebody <laughs> said, if only we had a wealth tax, then Bill Gates couldn't do wasteful stuff like this. Instead, his money could have gone to the CDC so they could tell people for months not to wear masks or to the FDA so they could prevent people from selling masks or developing tests. And I thought it was such a great meme. And 50, uh, 30 comments later, I was wrong. <laughs> you were shown the error of your ways yes. by the the wonderful community. He talked about population control. Well, actually, he talked There's, about birth control. You know, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> people, people say that there's no libertarians in a in a crisis and that libertarianism has failed. And when I go out there and look at the libertarian community, I don't think it's libertarianism that's failed. I think it's libertarians that have been failing. Yeah. It, it's really frustrating to see where the minds of some of the people in our movement go to and where they spend their time at and what they say, because it's not anything that's going to help us get anywhere. And um, I think we just need to, to have better, a better understanding of sociology. Um, the, I mean, the person who invented sociology as a, as a, uh, a discipline was a libertarian. And people are like, well, you shouldn't have to worry about interacting with people and it should be about you taking care of yourself. And that's it. That's not libertarianism. Libertarianism is about the community. It's about sociology, understanding how people work, how people think and and developing society based off that instead of trying to uh, do a centralized, top down, forced type of solution. So um, I don't know. I don't know what to say or how to change it. Other than just mentioning it here, it's the only thing I can think of. This is all we can do is shout into the void and hope that people will change. Um, all right. I, I We are way too late in thanking our patron members. Thank you, everybody who contributes to Patreon, especially our $100 a month folks. Anthony Meyer, Ryan Hold, Craig DaCosta, Ed Brehob, Jason Doolittle, Jeff Bennett, Christy Avery, Matthew Durbin, uh, you guys are all great and I thank you so much and thank you to everybody who is a patron it really means a lot our Patreon revenue has gone a little up which surprised me because I thought it would go down um, but we've gotten many great comments many people have praised us for such great content during all this and we've uh, been just working hard to try and bring you all kinds of good stuff and, and keep you uh, thinking about a bunch of different things and i'm just like i'm loving it i'm loving the intellectual challenge of trying to figure all this stuff out for you and i still feel like there's a not enough hours in the day to prep for this show so um just pe keep being decent to each other keep being nice to each other try to just be the person that diffuses the tension so i, I guess if i could say anything to this audience um, it's that you all are very rational. You're all very decent people. We see it when we talk to you. We see it on our social media that you know, like our Facebook group, like just keep being the cooler, being the people that try to not engage in the divisive fights. Like right now, everybody's trying to be divisive and bring politics into everything. And if I can just say anything to you, like just try to, not like I do it every single day. Like this person's wrong and I'm going to be an asshole to them. And sometimes I don't rise to the, to the occasion, but you know, there have been multiple comments. I'll just go back and delete. Cause I'm like that. Per like I saw one today. It, it rubbed me the wrong way. And then I remember this person posted about them losing job, their job. That person wasn't being mean to me. That person is dealing with some serious stress and has kind of taken it out on me, and I don't need to be a jerk back to them. 
the the nicest thing I can do is ignore it and move on, you know? And so I, I would just encourage people to do that. Just try to be the cooler because it's going to be a rough few months and we haven't gotten to the worst of the argument stuff yet because when you get to a place where people on one side think you're literally trying to steal my income and livelihood from me and my business is going under because of you and the other side thinks you're you're so selfish you're going to kill me it, it, it's, it and that is just the result of having a society that no longer believes in any institutions having a society that no longer believes any information and no longer thinks that they have any duty to be decent to each other and uh, if we can be the audience that changes that or at least be an army of people who bring empathy to the, these online discussions, try to bring some facts to it, try to bring some nuance to it, then maybe we can get other people on board and start changing things. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a rough few months, and everybody knows that, I think. But if you don't, then just know that there is another side. There is an other side to this. There is better days ahead. And uh, we can get there together and just try to try to look back on this time and say, I did my best. I, you know, I delivered meals to elderly neighbors. I were, ran a blood drive like our great friend Andrew Bowman out in Brazil is running a blood drive. I did, I did things that helped my community. I did things that were good for my soul. I chose to learn meditation or do that. Don't look back and go, I wish I hadn't said that to that person or I wish that I hadn't done that thing. So... Um, everybody's doing their best. There isn't a single person that isn't struggling with some form of grief or sadness or personal tragedy from this. And so I would just encourage you, just be nice. Like, just keep that in mind. Because if you see the harsh comment on the other end of your phone, that person's going through something. It's a guaranteed, you know, like, it just, it's, it's tough right now. So... Thank you to everybody for watching. We appreciate you so much, and we will see you again next week.